Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. excited that you're with us here today, excited to continue on in our topic as we walk through the writings of Luke. Luke wrote uh, two books in the New Testament. Uh, he wrote a gospel and he called it Luke, super creative there for, for that. I don't know if he named it there or later became that, but then he also wrote the book of Acts, which is kind of all the Acts of the Apostles, uh, and it kind of just went out of the story of the early church after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so we're kind of walking through different themes, and so the theme we have for this kind of series is prayer, and we're walking through what Luke talked about with prayer. And today I want to hit kind of a, a pretty hard Topic And the topic first has to start with the idea of waiting. Waiting. Is anybody in this room really good at waiting? Uh, you raised your hand. You just couldn't wait, huh? <laughs> You're like, ooh, tricky. Tricky, Paul. Tricky. Right? Waiting's not fun. I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait to... In line for, for my gas to get pumped. I'm not excited about that. I don't like to wait for my single origin coffee to finally come to my house. By the way, if you didn't know this, it was like two, three days late this month. So if you're wondering, like, you were kind of grumpy when I saw you the other day. That you, now you know why. My coffee didn't come in on time, so I had to go with kind of the, the lower end coffee. And it was, uh, thank you. Thank you for this. Man, I, that is so genuine and heartfelt. You see me. <laughs> I also don't, I don't like to wait for like my team to get back on the field, right? My favorite sports teams to get back on the field. And I start to say that phrase that all those Raiders fans say all the time, right? Well, there's always next year. <laughs> Has every Raider fan said, like even in the preseason, they're like, well, maybe next year. <laughs> right? But it's hard to wait, right? And the more important something is to us, the harder it is for us to wait for it. I think something that's really, really hard to wait for, maybe the hardest thing to wait for, is justice. Justice is the hardest thing to wait for. For rights, or so for wrongs to be made right. Right, for, for oppression to stop. For, for, for persecutors to be prosecuted. For, for offenders to finally be called to account. Justice, waiting for justice is hard. And maybe you're here in this room or you're with us online and you have personally 
been injured, hurt, or abused. You've been a, a victim of some form of cruelty. And maybe justice hasn't happened yet for you. And waiting for that justice is so incredibly hard. I, I remember when I was in junior high, my cousin uh, was murdered. And they didn't catch her killer until I was in college. And I, I remember receiving that news. I remember exactly where I was at on my college campus. I was near where I was living and then this kind of, they called them the cottages. They were like basically these apartments, but they were single level and there was a parking lot next to another big academic building. And I had my back to that academic building and I was facing the cottages is what they, they called it. And I got the call from my, from my stepdad and, and he told me, yes, you know, they, they finally caught her killer. And I would, there was a part of me that was like, okay, justice has been served, like finally. But if I'm absolutely honest, it didn't feel like justice had been fully served. How do we wait for justice? Right? How do we wait for rights or wrongs to be made right? It's hard because in the waiting, it's like our impatience with God's timing and administering justice feels morally justified, right? Our impatience to say, God, why aren't you moving? Like clearly this is happening. Why would you delay? What are you waiting for? Why not have justice be served? Why not intervene immediately into this situation and make things right? When we're waiting for justice, when we have a sense of impatience towards wrongs not being made right, that feels morally justified. And if we're honest, it's really hard not to just become like moral vigilantes, right? To take matters into our own hands, okay? The Gotham police force is not going to execute justice, then put up the bat signal, throw on the cape, wear black, and fly in and right, right the wrong. Vindicate the innocent. It's really hard to wait. We're going to talk about how can we do that. When we pray for justice, how can we wait? And I think a key point for us in praying for justice, in praying for murderers to be prosecuted, for oppressors to be stopped, for abusers For abusers to be called to account. How do we wait? Patience is key. Because justice will come. But it's not going to come at our schedule. In fact, that leads us to the big idea for today. So if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. I think what we're going to learn in our passage today is this. God's soon seems slow. Slow. From his vantage point, it looks immediate. Jesus is going to use the term speedily. But from our vantage point, oh, it is agonizing how long we have to wait. So go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And this is a, a, a parable and a teaching of Jesus that you may be very familiar with. If you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for a while, this is a very well-known parable. And I have to tell you right up front, as, a, as what I, I like to consider myself a student, 
of the Bible, not just as a follower of Jesus Christ, but I've, you know, done degrees in graduate school in studying the Bible, and I've read this part of the Bible several times, and I think generally I got the gist of what it was saying, but I think I really underestimated the specific nature that Jesus was addressing when it came to persevering prayer. I've always taken this passage to talk about, well, persevere, keep going in your prayer, keep making your request known to God, and I think that's good, to be faithful in our requests. But specifically what Jesus is talking about in this parable is the persistent prayer for justice, for justice to be served. Let me show you this. We're going to read through this teaching of Jesus, kind of look at some of the context, and then we're going to go slowly through it. And I think what Jesus is going to encourage us to do is, again, yes, God's soon seems slow, but we must persist because justice is certain. But we may have to wait for it, and that's hard. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 1. This is the occasion and then the parable for what Jesus is going to teach to his disciples. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will no longer beat me down by continually coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. Now what's important to realize here is actually kind of the the context or the uh, surrounding material of this parable. It's very important because this is not an isolated teaching moment for Jesus. He's kind of in a teaching moment already. This is kind of the end of a teaching moment, if you will. Jesus is teaching his disciples and probably more of an extended crowd. And he's talking about a certain topic. And this is in the midst of that topic. And we see this at the end of the passage we just read in verse 8. He brings up this theme of the, the day of the Son of Man, which is the end of the age. It's kind of all the way at the end of human history. And this is the framework and the timing that Jesus is talking about. So when we talk about persisting in prayer, we talk about enduring, we're talking about a lengthy amount of endurance. We're talking the marathon of human history. That's the context of this request right here that Jesus is making. He's speaking of this woman who is appealing to this judge and he's telling his disciples, I want you to appeal like this. You persist like this in your prayers. How long do we persist, Jesus? All the way to the end. All the way to the end, right? Jump to chapter 17. Really, his teaching on this starts at verse 20, but look at verse 26, because Jesus is going to describe the end of history and what it looks like, and what Jesus hopes his disciples won't be described by, what he hopes we won't be described by. Look at verse 26 of Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. There's that term again. This is the end of human history. When God is wrapping up all things. That's the days of the Son 
of man. That term, son of man, is a term all the way back in the prophet Daniel. And the prophet Daniel, he sees this vision at the end of history when God is wrapping up all things. He sees a figure like the son of man who is given a kingdom and an everlasting dominion. He's handed a kingdom that will last forever. And the son of man is that king. And what Jesus Christ is talking about here to his disciples, he says, I have come, right? And this is my first coming, but I'm going to come again. I came at this moment to die and to rise, to ascend back to my father. And then I will come again, my second coming, coming as the son of man. And I will bring my kingdom. That's what he's talking about here. And he's saying in those days, it'll look like this. It'll look like the days of Noah. Verse 27 of verse, or chapter 17. It says, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and a flood came and destroyed them. Now what is he talking about there? This is an Old Testament reference to a story, the story of God's salvation through judgment. That God saved Noah and his family. But because of the wickedness of the surrounding population around Noah, God said, I'm going to judge. Now it's time to judge. I've had enough. My patience has ended with this people. And he executes justice. He executes judgment. And people don't see it coming. That's what he's saying there. In the days of Noah, they were just doing their thing. They were marrying and drinking and watching the Super Bowl. I'm just kidding. They're, they're just doing stuff. They're living life. And Jesus is saying in that day, they, they were surprised because they forgot about God. And Jesus says the same thing will happen. The day of the Son of Man, people will forget me. Jesus uses another illustration. Likewise, I'm in verse 28. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Again, another Old Testament reference to salvation through judgment. Lot and his family were saved from God's judgment upon this city. A people whose sins had gotten so egregious that God finally sent my patience and son, justice is going to be served and so he punished them. And this time he didn't rain down water, but he rained down fire. In the case of Noah, it was different case of Lot, right, he rains down fire and Lot escapes. He's saved through judgment and judgment falls upon this city, upon this people. And Jesus is saying, will the end look like this? When I come back, will people forget me or will they hold on? Will they hold on? Jump to verse 8 of chapter 19. He says, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. And look at this phrase. Again, he's showing us is in the same context of what he's been talking about. How do we endure all the way to the end? How should we behave at the end of days, at the coming of the Son of Man? It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will my people hold on? Will they hold on to faith? Will they persevere to the end of history. And what are we waiting for? The king, the son of man, the one to bring justice. So you see the context, the time frame that Jesus is saying here? The waiting could be until the end of everything. That's how long we have to wait sometimes. And God may look at it and say, well, it's soon, it's coming. 
Man, but when you're in the midst of it, that soon seems really long. Really long. But Jesus tells this story. First, he wants to assure his people, justice is coming. You can be certain of that. And then Jesus will say, and it'll come quickly. All right, go back to the parable. Now that we kind of get the time frame he's talking about, let's look at how he makes it a point to show that the certainty of God's justice is true. It will happen. Look at verse 1, Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart as they wait for the end. Will they persevere and not forget God? Will they persevere and not lose heart that the king is coming, the kingdom is coming, justice is coming, righteousness will reign. Don't lose heart in that. So he tells them the story. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. What a great judge. Does that feel like the present day description of politicians? I know you're all afraid like the government is listening. They are. Who cares? Okay. Thank you. Right? This judge, he doesn't love God and he doesn't love people. What a great guy. He picked a perfect, perfect profession this is the summary of the commands, right, that Jesus says, if I'm going to summarize all the Old Testament commands, love God, love people. And this guy doesn't love God or love people. What a terrible judge. But he still acts justly, at least in this moment. Look at what he does. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now this is really important for us to remember in the context. She's not saying I have a situation that's a problem. Like I'm a victim of my circumstance. What is she saying? There is somebody set against me. I need to be vindicated. Now we can take that word and, and, and only see it like with negative connotation, but we shouldn't. To be vindicated means to be shown to be the innocent party. So she is an innocent victim, and she wants vindication. She wants her evildoer, her adversary, her oppressor, to, to be held to account for his behavior. And she wants to be shown as the innocent party. That's the idea, the dynamic. She wants justice. And this judge gives it to her. Why does he give it to her? Because he's just tired of her. Right? Look at verse 4. For while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That phrase there in the Greek, not beat me down, literally means to bruise underneath my eye. That's what it means. And so, of course, I'm reading this, and like the first time I read it, like I'm just imagining this widow like, oh, judge, please help me. And he's like, no. And she's like, oh, yeah. Bam! Uppercut. Right? I just like get into street fighter mode. Like, what do you can, like, I just I don't know why. If you know it, that, like some of you are like, I know what he said there. Others are like, what was that move? Okay? It's not a dance move. Okay? And maybe, maybe, maybe from this day forward, it'll be on TikTok. People will just be doing this, and you could say, thank you, Pastor Paul, for that. And if you don't know what TikTok is, ask your grandchildren. And then tell them not to ever go on it. Okay, thank you. But look at what, what I think is being described here is like the fatigue. You're just going to wear me down. It's like you're literally physically hurting me. Like you're over and over. and next. Fine, I'll do it. Now what Jesus is doing here is he, he's using what I like to call a, a better than argument. And Jesus loves to use this technique. And sometimes you can, you can see that Jesus is using, using it because he'll use this phrase, how much more? So what Jesus does, he sets the stage this way. He'll say, if somebody of really low character, 
I mean, just an immoral person like our judge. Doesn't love God, doesn't love people. If this guy can do a virtuous action, how much more certain should we be that someone of better character will do that action? See what he's doing there? If this person right here who is just immoral by chance, just out of being hit underneath the eye, right, or being nagged, they'll actually administer justice. How much more would a loving God do that very same action? Somebody of much higher character. That's what he's doing here. Jesus is showing the certainty of God's justice because unlike the unjust judge, God is holy. God is holy. He weighs sin correctly. He's the only righteous one. He knows the true weight of every offense against his created order. He knows it. He has balanced scales in his mind because they're balanced after his very character. And he knows himself. He is holy. But he's also loving and kind and compassionate. He cares about you. He's not indifferent to your circumstances. He is so unlike this unjust judge. So if that guy will give justice, surely our God, who is holy and loving, will give justice. And then Jesus does this hard part. Jesus talks about when it will come. And I think this is the hardest part to digest. Okay, he's going to do it. There's certainty. Even if the systems of man have failed me, even if justice doesn't happen, my offender was never caught, my abuser was never caught, God's justice will reign, it will come. But this is the part that's hard to swallow. Look at what Jesus says in verse, halfway through verse 7. I'll just read all of verse 7 to 8. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Wow. Are you ever reading the Bible at times and you're just like, nope. You're like, I don't know, should I admit that in church? Okay. No, I, I have those moments. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to impress. I'll be honest with you. There are moments I read this book and I'm like, man, I don't feel that. Speedily? You'll bring it speedily. Like your justice will come like that. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. Right? It's hard. We're so bombarded by injustice over and over again and cruelty. And people just being absolutely mean, uh, just evil, cruel, malicious against other human beings created in the image of God. Destroying them, robbing them of dignity and shame. Shaming them and saying, you are not of worth, you are not of value, you are below me. I can control you, I can abuse you, I can do whatever I want to you. Right? We're surrounded by it. We are saturated in a system, in a culture of oppression, a culture that throws away the dignity of men and women and children. We devalue so easily. I was just talking to my wife about this. I was like, do you realize just how easy it is for me to hate? Have you ever thought about that? I get, I get weary just looking at myself and realizing how easy it is for me to kind of 
hate somebody. Like that engine does not take long to warm up. Now to love them, oh, that takes a lot more time. It's like sub-zero temperature and I'm starting a 96 Mazda in the morning. That's actually what I do, right? And that thing takes forever to warm up. By the time I get to my son's school, it's like still on sea. You know, it's like it's never moving. But man, so quickly, so quickly is my, pro- my, ho- my, my heart prone to anger. I can devalue somebody just like that. Man, it just disappoints me. But we lit, we're saturated by it. And it, only, it feels like there's just two options. Either one, we just get numb to it. Right? We just say, man, it's there. You know what? I'm just going to turn off the news. I'm just going to not hear about it. I'm not going to think about it. Now that position will just fall apart. Because it doesn't take long for tragedy and cruelty to end or to, to hit your home. It didn't take long. Right? And then there's the other end that just run off into unbelief. There is no God. There's, there's nobody up there who's calling things to an account. The only hope we have are the systems of man. And those fail us. So either we're kind of left in this disbelief of God and this despair that our only hope is humanity. Or it's over here and we're just numb to it and indifferent. And we're like, well, maybe the poor are just suffering for the consequences of their action. They're getting what they deserve. And we become these like determinists and fatalists. And we just have a terrible worldview of why people face terrible circumstances. Well, they deserved it, right? That's a terrible place to be. But this is a terrible place to be too. But there's a third option. And the third option is to wait. Because justice will come. It will. But it won't come when we want it to come. And Luke is so good at expressing this sense of tension. We came across this, my, my wife and I, we were reading through the book of Acts. So the other book that Luke wrote. And Luke is a master storyteller and he's a great historian. And when we look at the book of Acts and really look at the Gospels, we have to see that, yes, he is very historically accurate. I mean, the names and the places and the timings that he mentions, I mean, he is, man, a meticulous detail. It's a wonderful thing. If you're ever wondering about the truthfulness of the scriptures, go to Luke's writings. You'll see how much history he puts in there. If he wanted to tell a myth, he did a terrible job. Because there's so many historical facts that you can check later. It's a really interesting uh, uh, kind of exercise to do. I remember doing that. You're really young in my Christianity. is looking into all this stuff that Luke did. But Luke is also a master t- storyteller. He's arranging the material in a way to prove a point. Yes, he's putting the details together. But he didn't give us every single event. So the events that he puts into play, he does it artistically to prove a point. And I found it very interesting because in Acts chapter 12, we see this tension between vindication, God showing up immediately and doing something, but we also see the tension of injustice, of somebody being wronged and that not being made right. In Acts chapter 12, it starts this way, Herod arrests James, the brother of John, one of the disciples. James and John were both disciples, both brothers. If you've watched The Chosen, you start to cast them in your head. You're like, it's the big guy, okay? The big guy, Big James. Well, Herod gets Big James and he kills him. Terrible loss. It's it's an awful thing. And then Herod feels like, man, this has gone so well. I should get somebody else. I'm going to get Peter. So then he arrests Peter. 
And in the same chapter, literally like in the same movement, I mean, not very long, James gets maybe like five verses and the rest is about Peter. Because what happens with Peter is the church begins to pray and Peter is freed from prison by the intervention of an angel. Okay, that's cool. But imagine if you're John, James's brother. I mean, if you're John, you're probably like, wow, it's so great. Look, Peter was delivered. But what about my brother? I'm, I'm glad an angel came down and was like, okay, God was like, all right, cell block C, go find Peter, go this route. That's great, that's awesome. God vindicated Peter. He didn't allow, them, allow him to, be, to suffer an injustice. But where was he for James? Where was the intervention for James? Where was the angel for James? Why didn't he get out? You see the tension there? If you have ever felt that tension or currently you are feeling that tension of you have been wronged, you have been hurt. Now hear me, okay? Because I almost, I almost, you know, I'm tempted to pull back because I don't, I don't, I want to be sensitive to where, what your story is, okay? I really, really do. I want you to hear me, I really, really do. But I know as we talk about this topic, maybe you're being triggered right now, right? Maybe you're looking back in your past, you're like, I can't do this. You can't go there, Paul. I don't want to go there. Look, man, I hear you, okay? I hear you. I hear you. And with empathy in my heart, I am so sorry. I don't know everybody's story in this room. I don't. But I know I bet everybody in this room and online has been hurt by somebody. And that right has not been made wrong. Or sorry, that, that wrong has not been made right. And you have not been vindicated. And maybe you're still suffering the consequences of that abuse. Right? He hurt you in that way. He took something from you. And you can't seem to get it back. You feel like you'll never get it back. And he hurt you so much, you don't feel like you can ever be open to somebody else. Okay? Hear me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened. That breaks my heart and it breaks the heart of God. But leaning into this is the only way, honestly, the only way I think you can hold that burden in this life. Leaning in and saying justice is certain. It is certain. Your king will come. Jesus promised that every single idle word that we have ever spoken will be judged. We will all give an account for every idle word. That means those horrendous actions, if he gets the idle words, he gets the horrendous actions too. His judgment is extensive. It's expansive. It includes everything, even the thoughts and intents of our hearts. His justice is extensive. Man's system of justice pales in comparison to the vastness of God's coverage of his justice. Everything called into account. It will come. It will. And the only way to wait is to persistently pray for it and give it up to him. To say, will you give me justice? Let me show you this. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, if you've ever felt that tension, the tension of being vindicated, being shown to be the innocent party, for the person that hurt you and abused you, for that finally to be, to be given account. 
for it to be handled rightly, for justice to fall. If you've ever been that agony, friend, you are in good company. In the book of Revelation, in uh, Revelation chapter 6, as there's all this imagery and it's very beautiful. If you ever walk through Revelation, there's so much uh, just beautiful language. It can get confusing at times. But where we are in 6 is there's a, these seals being broken. And the idea is almost like um, chapters being turned. If you think of like in a literature book, you move from chapter 4 to chapter 5. We just turn a page. But in the ancient world there, like a breaking of, the, of a seal and a new scroll is now unfolding. It's like a, a new plan of God's uh, unfolding plan for humanity is happening. So as God is executing his plan, he's winding up things in Revelation. The seal is broken. The fifth seal and the, kind of the scroll kind of unrolls. And look at this prayer. Look at this prayer. Because I think this is the prayer of the persistent widow. And I think this is the prayer that John probably prayed for his brother James. Look at this prayer, beautiful prayer. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the, for the witness they had borne. These are the martyrs. They have died for their faith. Their blood has been shed. Right? They didn't get the intercession that Peter got. The angel didn't come and break them out of their situation. They suffered the fate of James. Maybe James is one of these. A martyr who's been slain for his testimony to the word of God. And look at their prayer. Beautiful prayer given. We're in verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? How long your soon seems so slow. I was reflecting on this with my kids when we were walking through Genesis several, several months ago. And we're talking about how the story of God saying to Abraham, Abraham, man, you're going to have a, a, a blessed story. I'm going to give you just a, a nation. You look to the skies and that's how vast your family will become. And in fact, through your family, the whole world's going to be blessed. But then in that story, in that time, at the very beginning, he tells them, but your descendants will suffer oppression for 400 years. Wait, hold on. I thought you said I'd have a story of blessing. I don't remember a story of blessing having 400 years of slavery. Like if you told me the soon was 400 years long, I don't know if I'm buying in. That's longer than our nation like has been around. Think about that. That soon seems so slow. That gap seems massive. And this is what these martyrs express. How long. And maybe God intercedes. Maybe God shows up. Maybe justice happens. Maybe you get like an Acts 12 moment. God sends an angel. Praise God. And does he do it? Yes, he does it. But he also does not do it. But that doesn't mean it doesn't come. Right? Go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 2. Oh, sorry. You know what? We missed, we missed a point. Go back to 6 because look at what they're told. Okay, look at what they're told when I'm in verse 11. Then they each were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. That's got to be hard to stomach. 
until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. The plan is not yet at that stage. Wait. Wait. But be certain it will come. Now go to Revelation chapter 19. Because this is when their prayer is finally answered. And honestly, friends, this may be where your prayer is finally answered. You may have to endure all the way to the end. You may have to endure past your own life. At least this earthly life. You may have to pray for vindication and pray for justice to fall when your soul is in heaven. But one day, the Son of Man will come. One day, the kingdom will come. One day, righteousness will rain down on us. One day, justice will be fully executed. Look at how the prayer of the saints is answered right here in this wonderful song. Revelation 19, verse 1 and 2. After this, what seemed to be the, a, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, and salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his justice, or judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Finally they get it. Finally, and that's the prayer of the persistent widow answered. That's the prayer of John answered. It took who knows how, how many years, but finally it happened. Justice will come. And I know his soon seems slow, but it is certain it will come. And as you wait, and as you pray, and as you seek for it, and as you hunger for it. Let me give you this encouragement. A slow yes is still a yes. A slow yes is still a yes. When you cry out, who will catch her killer? When you cry out, who will call to account my abuser? When you cry out and say, who will fix this system of oppression? Who will stop all of these people being victimized. Will that come? Lord, bring your justice. He will say yes to that. But not yet. Yes, but not yet. And it is hard to endure. It is hard to wait. And if you are in that agony of waiting, you're in good company. Because the saints have that same agony. You join yourself with a company of thousands and millions maybe. In that prayer. And your king will bring it. Keep praying for it. Keep praying for it. Persevere in it. The only way you're going to release that. And not become this vindictive vigilante. Who's got to take it into their own hands. You can't do that friend. You can't do that. He will bring it. Maybe he brings it through the government. Maybe he brings it through the police force. Maybe he brings it through other situations. You can't take the sword in your own hand. He's given that sword, according to Romans 13, to the government. But they're not going to yield it all the way perfectly. Amen to that. But trust me, the one who gave him that sword, he'll take it himself. And he knows exactly how to yield it. 
And we should not interpret his delay as a lack of care. Because that's how where our hearts will go. Our hearts will say, why not now? Why not right in this moment? Why not administer it quickly? I know it's speedily to him, but I'm in the midst, if you will. I'm in the midst of the parade, and I'm dealing with history right here. Now, God has a vantage point. He's on the skyscraper, the, the Goodyear blimp, and he's looking at the entire parade. He sees it from start to finish, but we're in the midst of it. So right now, the gap seems massive, but to God, the first coming and second coming, that gap is minuscule. So it's fair to him to say soon and speedily, but for us, it doesn't look like that. And to us, it's really hard when that gap we're waiting for to say, surely he doesn't care or he would come quicker. Here's the thing. The reason he doesn't come is actually because he cares. Now, I know that sounds really strange. But his patience is not because he's indifferent towards you. His patience is because he loves. Let me show you this last verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Look at how it talks about his delay and his patience and the reasoning for it. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. At least not slow according to his standards. He's not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you know why he's waiting because he wants people to step into relationship with him. He has the door wide open. One day, just like he did with Noah, he will shut up the ark. And God is the one who shut it up. God is the one who closed it. And surely there were people outside, once they realized what the day was, that were beating on the outside of that ark, but would not get in. Because the time, the window had shut. The same thing is true when the Son of Man comes. That his patience is not infinite. It ends. And there's a moment where he says, that's enough. That's enough. I've given the opportunity. I've given the window. You had this moment. If you're listening to me right now, you have this moment. You have this moment. Right now, that's what you have. You may not have the next moment or the next moment. But you have a window and you have a gap. And if you don't get the next moment and then you go to God... And say, but you didn't give me enough time. He'll say, no, time. You want to know about time? I gave you so much time. It wearied my saints. They called out to me. They said, when will you avenge our blood? How long are you going to wait? We're your guys, right? You love us, right? But you let us bleed? You let us die? And you let them get away with it? Why did you wait so long? He wearied the saints. He wearied the martyrs. They cried out in agony. Why are you waiting? We cannot say. We cannot say that he didn't give us enough time. He gave you this moment. And maybe he'll give you another one. But you can never say his patience wasn't long enough for you. It was long enough for you. If anything, from the perspective of the martyrs, it was too long. It was too long. But friend, you've got to take advantage of that. Now, this is your moment. And there doesn't, there doesn't mean there will be another one. Do not presume on the patience of God. Because in the end, for the people of God with Noah, for Sodom and Gomorrah, 
and the end of the age for the Son of Man. They're all caught by surprise because they forgot God. They were indifferent toward him. Oh, if they just didn't see how patient he was with them. That he wants them to come to a place where when justice falls, and justice will fall for Paul Crandall, God will say, let's look at that idle word. Ooh, let's look at that thought. Ooh, I paid for it. Let's look at this one and this one. Oh, I pay for all those too. That'll be a great day. But when he calls everything to account, what will he say? Oh, I didn't pay for those ones. You'll have to pay for those ones. Because you didn't turn your life over to me. You didn't trust in Jesus Christ, my one and only son, who died on the cross and rose again for the forgiveness of your sin to make atonement for you so you could be guilty of all these charges. But justice will fall and every idle word, all of the lists. So who bears that burden? Of the justice of God. I pray for you and for your soul that it is Jesus Christ and not you. Today is your moment. You have this moment. I don't know if you have the next one. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you will bring justice. You will reign justly. Righteousness will reign forth in the coming of the Son of Man. And that is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. And we agonize as we wait for rights to be made wrong. And there are many in this room who are victims who have suffered and have not been vindicated. And there's going to be a day of great vindication where we will sing that your justice is finally served. Oh, I can't wait for that day. Help us to persevere to persevere in our prayers for justice to rain down. I pray that it come right now for many. I pray it come right now for all. But I know it won't. So I pray that you help us to persevere. And Father, for those in this room that may be in hearing that this is their moment, and they want to step across that line and follow Jesus for the first time, if that's you, if you're, you're with us in the room or you're online, Maybe you're saying to yourself, okay, it's time. No more messing around. It's time for me to follow Jesus. It's time for me to cross that line. Because I have this moment, so I'm going to use this moment. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer here in, a, in just a second. And you can pray it in the silence of your own heart. It's not magical because it comes from my mouth, no. It's meaningful if it comes from your heart. If you want to step to Jesus for the first time, start following him for the first time, you can pray a prayer. Very simple like this. You can say these words just between you and God. Father, I see. I see that I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I've stepped away from your design. I've stepped away from your rules. And justly, I deserve punishment. But I see what you did in the Son, your Son, that He died on the cross and He rose again. For the forgiveness of my sin. Justice fell on him. So I could be freed. Today I turn my life over to him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.